Hey, Changemakers, welcome back to the Engage for Good podcast. I'm your host, Allie Murphy. 77 point-of-sale fundraising campaigns that each raised $1 million or more in 2022 were included in this year's Charity Checkout Champions Report. This biennial study was released at Engage for Good in May and highlighted that these checkout champions raised a cumulative $749 million, which is up 24% since the 2020 report. These campaigns have raised $6.7 billion over the past three decades. If you haven't guessed it already, this episode is the second in our series on point-of-sale fundraising. It's amazing and empowering that donation amounts that seem so small like rounding up or donating a dollar, can result in tremendous amounts of dollars raised for good causes. In today's episode, I'm joined by Alex Carson, Senior National Corporate Relations Lead at American Heart Association, and Brittany Hill, founder and CEO of Accelerist, to dive into best practices in point-of-sale fundraising. The American Heart Association's Life is Why campaign inspires consumers to honor their reasons to live healthier, longer lives by giving. The nonprofit has three charity checkout champions in this year's report with Big Lots, Pilot Travel Centers, and Walgreens. In today's episode, we will explore what made American Heart Association's campaigns with Big Lots, Pilot, and Walgreens successful, how consumer engagement and sentiment towards POS fundraising has changed post-pandemic, donation options that are most popular and prevalent at point of sale, best practices for developing successful fundraising campaigns, advice to listeners developing their own POS campaigns, and how to optimize campaigns given economic impacts that we expect in 2023. And with that, let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Accelerist. Hey, Alex and Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ali. Thank you for having us. Hey, Ali. How's it going? Alex, we are all more than what we do for work. So tell us a little bit about you as a person and what you do at the American Heart Association. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Alex Carson, uh, Senior Corporate Lead for our National Corporate Relations Team at the Heart Association. And, you know, I would say that that's like what got me into this profession, into nonprofit fundraising, was really growing up in the world of uh, doing meaningful work. I think my parents have always instilled in us that doing meaningful work is so important. Uh, father, entrepreneur, mom teacher of you know 40 years uh, and always wanted to kind of give back and do. And so grew up in that through high school and college and took me into the world of nonprofit. I had a decision to either do public relations and graphic design or to work for uh, another large charity at the time. And uh, it's taken me on on this journey. So love traveling, love my family and love living in the Cincinnati, Ohio, Northern Kentucky area. Wonderful. All right, Brittany, what about you? Tell us a little bit about you as a person and Accelerist. Yeah, well, I'm the CEO and founder here at Accelerist and have spent, you know, my entire career uh, at the intersection of profit and purpose. But like Alex sort of had a pivotal moment uh, when I was actually dancing professionally in New York uh, during September 11th and woke up the next day after that, really compelled to do something different with my life and uh, to try to make the crazy and uncertain world at that time, gosh, probably still is. Um, a little bit more meaningful and and a little bit better than I found it. And so went into nonprofit marketing and, and fundraising and sort of the rest is history along the trajectory. And 
Um, I personally have, have had the luxury of living in a lot of different places like New York and California and live here now in Austin with my family. I'm a mom of two girls um, that are very active in sports. So I spend a lot of my time uh, going to lacrosse and soccer games and um and we love to travel as well. And I'm a bit of a foodie. So I'm always looking for that next fun food experience. Um, and yeah, just enjoying life. So thanks for having us today. Alex, you have three over million dollar campaigns that were included in this year's Charity Checkout Champions Report, which is awesome. Tell us a little bit about your work with Big Lots, Pilot Travel Centers, and Walgreens. How much did you raise? And what was a little bit of the secret sauce for making each successful? Yeah, thanks, Sally. You know, we are so proud of our Life is Why Consumer campaign that really started in 2016 uh, that really took on its its own, you know, campaign look, feel, and uh, brand. And so the Life is Why campaign has raised over $75 million since its inception in 2016. And in 2022 alone, last year, we raised $12 million through a lot of our Life is Why supporters that are, you know, smaller in scale, but also are larger in scale, like the, the three you mentioned, Big Lots, Pilot, Flying J, and Walgreens. Um, you know, they helped us contribute to that $12 million. And I think, you know, what we've seen over the last few years is that health is top of mind for consumers, you know, coming out of the pandemic, but also thinking about, you know, uh, associate and customer well-being, making sure we're showing up for those resources for their own associates, but also the customers has really unlocked some incredible opportunities that I think um, once really lived in more of the give to the heart association. And now right. it's really shifted to give to an issue and how can we really show up in store um, for the customers, but also rallying those associates around our calls. Okay. And if you had to dive into a campaign, one of those, maybe pick one of the the top three or four, what is something that you think makes one of those campaigns unique? Unique. That's a great question. You know, I would say Big Lots does an incredible job. You know, they have a very good um understanding of their customer and what you know that customer their behavior why they come there and what they want to achieve with their customer and i think what we were able to do is really show our value and our value proposition of um you know women's health you know, we know through our go ahead for women campaign and our focus on um, reducing those disparities of women and heart disease that this can be a value add to their consumer and associates and i think they do a great job of socializing that ask uh, before a customer even walks into the store through their loyalty program, um, but also through on the channel, you know, promotions that are talking about this campaign and life is why before that customer even gets to um, front of store for, for checkout. So I think what they do is really make the connection for their women demographic to our calls. And so it's very clear when they get to the register what they're being asked to to give to. And then when you get to the register, it's also not the first time that you're hearing about That's this. Right. You get the That's repeated. Right. Yep. I like it. All right, Brittany, based on your research, which recently came out, how have you seen consumer engagement and sentiment towards point-of-sale fundraising change post-pandemic? Because a lot of things have changed. What have you seen? A lot of things have changed. That's a good way to sum it up. Um, you know, one thing that we've seen is, you know, there was the popularity of point-of-sale fundraising has certainly increased over the last five, 10 years um, but what we've seen coming off of the pandemic is actually a contraction in the amount of consumers who are reporting, at least, um, who are reporting having donated at the register in the last 12 months. Um, over the past 
12 to 18 months, about there's about 25% less consumers who said they've actually made a donation at register. And we feel like that's probably pretty indicative of, you know, consumer budgets tightening because of inflation and because of interest rates spiking and just being in this kind of uncertain economic time. We do anticipate that it'll it'll probably course correct and start its way back up at the end of this year, mm-hmm. um, following sort of the the stock market and coming out of a recession coming into twenty four. But you know, in our annual survey of consumers at large, um, we've been tracking consumer engagement and sentiment over the last four to five six years now. Um, when it comes to point of sale fundraising, so it's been interesting to watch you know, those spikes and and valleys um, across those very uncertain and tumultuous years. Um, And so that's what we've seen a little bit is a little bit of a contraction. But what we are also seeing is that maybe less people are giving, but they're giving more Mm -hmm. at the register. And um, so I think you're really tapping into kind of those loyalists, even at point of sale, you know, if you're a nonprofit thinking about those micro donors really is long-term donors. You're now, you've now built a relationship with them, you know, over the last few years and they expect to see you at Walgreens. They expect to see the American Heart Association, you know, at, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, institutions now. And so I think that's been a little bit of a shift. That's some of the other things that we've seen kind of shift in post-pandemic. Less people are reporting giving, they're giving more. However, they still feel really positive as well about giving. Um, so over two thirds of consumers feel good about giving and they like it when retailers ask them to give, uh, which sometimes is a debunking uh, stat for some retailers that are maybe a little uncertain about jumping into this type of fundraising is, oh, well, my consumers still like it. Isn't that everywhere? And really the stats show that, yeah, they do. And they they feel like you're allowing them to be a hero in that moment. I like that way of putting it, that you're allowing them to be a hero in that moment. You're giving them the the ability and the platform to do it easily and kind of removing the resistance of the, who do I give to and how do I figure this out? It's an easy transaction. That's right. Okay. So Alex, we've talked about less consumers, but maybe more money. Your campaign with Pilot is up 21%. And then your campaign with Walgreens is up about 88 since our last report. And our report is every two years. But what mm-hmm. key factors do you think contributed to these massive increases? Yeah, well, I think I mentioned the environmental factor that, you know, we know health resonates with the consumer and with associates. So that's more of an environmental thing that I would point to. But I would also say each of these campaigns have their respective uh, things they've leaned into. So Pilot, Flying J, you know, their leadership is bought into this this cause. They're bought into the Heart Association. And, you know, they're always thinking about what's next and what's new. And so from a technology perspective and from what's on the horizon from their own business technology, they're always thinking about how does the American Heart Association weave into that? And so I give credit to their leadership team for always thinking about what's next. And even in our debrief of the February campaign they just had a couple weeks ago, they already have big sites set for next year and how they're going to take the February campaign in 2024 to new heights, uh, which is our centennial year. And they're excited oh, wow. to show up big for us in our 100th anniversary. Yeah. Um, I like it. So, what about Walgreens? Yeah, and for Walgreens, I think it really comes down to hyper-localizing some of that activity. So, you know, where some uh, campaigns are really more focused at the headquarter level, Walgreens has really empowered us to have those local relationships in those markets or those regions and making sure that it is, it is um, on their terms and making sure it's very localized. So it's a different approach than I think a lot of our supporters have taken, but Walgreens has done a great job of making sure that um, 
you know, as they have those abilities to run campaigns that our team can go in, make it local, uh, highlight associate, but also community stories that can come to life in store for their, their customers and associates. Mm-hmm. Okay, this might be one of your answers, Brittany, but I'm curious, can you point out a couple of best practices that you think lead both companies and nonprofits to have successful fundraising campaigns? Local might be a piece of it, but what would you say? Yeah, I think it is a piece of it. Alex has mentioned some of them already. I think there are kind of three areas that we are finding are sort of rising to the top as best practices. Um, one is is better targeting you know, who you are working with as a nonprofit or as a retailer, if you're listening to this, um, you know, of who you work with, who you're partnering with to ensure, as Alex has said, it resonates on a local level. You know, does this cause, if I'm a retailer, resonate with what causes matter to my consumers or even my employees who are sometimes tasked with making the ask, you know, and getting excited about the giving? Or if I'm a nonprofit, what brands resonate with people that already know and love us so that we can really bank on higher conversions at register, right? How, where, where are those like-mindedness? I think the other thing is getting creative when it comes to targeting around outside of the usual suspects. You know, everybody wants to go to those grocery and supermarkets and, you know, big, huge uh, foot traffic retailers, but that since the programs have really increased and the popularity of point of sale fundraising has increased so much, those are kind of tapped out uh, for a lot of organizations looking to get into this space. So being creative with who you're partnering with and why, looking at the unusual suspects, you know, even from an e-commerce perspective, you know, drilling down into subcategories like online tour operators and travel partners or um, e-commerce um gaming platforms that are gaming marketplaces where you can add a roundup or add a dollar, not just in-game fundraising Um, or entertainment, in-person entertainment, you know, um, you know, platforms, whether they're concerts or sporting events or, you know, different, I think unusual suspects is one thing we've seen more and more organizations, uh, you know, look to and more of those retailers or, or transactional partners Um, be able to lean into consumer fundraising through. I think the other thing is doubling down on awareness. And Alex, you brought this up and it's something I think Life is Why and the American Heart Association is brilliant at, is really doubling down on the awareness that you're building through omni-channel communications um, within the campaign itself. And yes, that means one, having a toolkit and communicating the ask before we make it, But also one thing the American Heart Association has been so successful at that I've seen, Alex, I don't know if you would underscore this, is making the ask in multiple ways as well, which I think increases the awareness. So it's not just at PinPad. It's not just at e-commerce. It's not just through a QR code when you walk in the door on a poster. It's all of the above. So that from the moment they start their experience as a consumer with a retailer or an e-commerce or sporting event, they that you are part of the experience, not just an afterthought when they're checking out of that experience. And so whether it's you're communicating who American Heart Association is, why you exist, where the money's going, or you're making that ask throughout their journey, I think doubling down on that is something that we've seen be really successful. Our consumers that we've pulled said actually 78% of them this year 
said that they make their decision. The reason, one of the reasons why, or the highest motivator as to why they donate at point of sale is because they know and trust the organization they're giving to. So while mm-hmm. Alex mentioned, you know, consumers are giving more to an issue and companies are giving more to the issue first, which is absolutely true. They have to trust though, that the organization that is supporting that issue is being good stewards of those dollars, or they're just not going to make that donation. So that might be also why we're seeing less people donate is because we as nonprofits are not necessarily communicating where their money is going before they make the ask, not just after. You know, it's it's now kind of a cost-benefit analysis in the minds of the consumer in the two seconds that you have their attention. Um, and then the last point I'll just say really quickly is the last best practice is one that's been around forever. Make it easy. Make it easy for the retailer to, uh, you know, execute on. They have too many things going. They have workforces that are changing sizes by the day. Make it super easy for them to execute, communicate, and measure it because they're not going to do it again if we're not measuring it, if we don't understand, you know, the impact that that, those funds are making. But then also, you know, how did their employees feel about the program at Register? Did consumers engage? And, And retailers can be a good partner in that measurement, too. Oh, my gosh. Those are all such good pieces. As you were talking about, well, Alex, you said this as well, of having kind of touch points throughout the experience. So it's not just at register. And then Brittany, you're talking about QR codes and pin pad and this and that. I recently had, actually, I think it was two weeks ago now, um, Amanda Dove from On Our Sleeves and Samantha Booth from Joanne on the podcast to talk about their partnership and their point of sale. And they have similar pieces of you've got to make it easy. And then also the ways in which they share the relationship and the learnings with consumers so that they really feel like, oh, by the time you get to the register, you know what I'm talking about, which is neat. I want to transition to challenges, which is always a fun conversation, or at least I think it's a fun conversation. So Alex, what's a challenge you faced with one or maybe more of your partners that you don't think many are aware of? Yeah, well, Ali, I hit on it a little bit earlier. You know, the Heart Association, the, the positive and negative is that we have so much that we work on as the number one you know, killer of all Americans, unfortunately, number five being stroke is that, you know, there's so many risk factors and things that can touch on uh, the leading cause. Of death and disability. And so whether it's CPR, women's health, you know, healthy living in general, a lot of our companies that support us want to lean into one of those topics and we want them to do so as well. Um, and so for their associates, for the company, what they stand for, very important. You know, I think sometimes articulating that or getting that across to the customer, to your point about ease of message and simplicity can sometimes mm-hmm. be a challenge. You know, the Life is Why campaign is all about what's your why. When you show up at the register and give to the American Heart Association, we want you to know about our issues, but at the end of the day, you're giving intrinsically because you have a personal connection to our mission. Everyone has some connection to heart disease and stroke, even if it's, I want to be better for myself and my family. I want to show up healthier. And so it's it's that balance of leaning into an issue that can be so important for the company and to their associates, but also being um, broad enough so that when they show up to the register, they're seeing themselves in our mission. And to Brittany's point, they're giving to a cause that they trust and care about. So that balance of issue versus, you know, my intrinsic uh, motivation to give at register can be a little bit of a balance. Um, that would be one that I'll, I'll, I'll pause there and say that's that's one that uh, I, I think we experience quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think some organizations probably face that more than others. You're probably one that faces it a little bit more, but it also means that you probably have a toolkit on how to do these things a little bit better and have learned a lot over time. 
I want to transition a little bit back to kind of the actual research. So according to our research and charity checkouts, Roundup and the $1 ask are the most popular options. That's what our side says. But I'm curious, what options do you offer to consumers with your partners and why did you pick them? Yeah, great question. You know, I think uh, we have seen the dollar be the supreme, although over the last couple of years, Roundup has kind of teetered on that number one or number two yep. spot. Uh, and, you know, we, we typically offer the one, five and 10 option to give a price point, um, depending on their loyalty or depending on, you know, where they stand as a customer that shows up, whether they, you know, are giving what they, at the height of what they can, or, you know, giving a little bit that goes a long way. Uh, we give them options, you know, for online or e-commerce, we tend to skew those a little bit higher, depending, again, it all depends on really the consumer behavior. And that would be the top line that I would say about this, this question is it really depends on the consumer behavior. I think sometimes we think Roundup is the answer when in reality, you know, that's really result, uh, reserved for high volume um, and items that are going to be, you know, able to be rounded up. You know, it's not going to work for a higher price point that's, you know, a $5.99 product when you're only getting a cent on the, on the purchase. And so it's really about finding a, a right fit for the supporter. Um, and we've even seen a couple of supporters that have gone to Roundup and they're like, oh, we think we actually hurt ourselves because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had maybe more people, but they didn't give us much. So we're still trying to find and, and synthesize what our, our results are showing. But, you know, would agree that Roundup and Dollar Ask are the most popular. And I think that's such a good point, too, of, yes, it's good to start somewhere and to test it. But as you said, you've got to figure it out. And it's got to be what those consume, what works for those consumers. And on e-commerce, it might be higher. In store, if you've got a lot of volume, it might be lower. So it's really... While there are the popular ones, it's dependent on your partnership and who the consumers are. Yeah, I think it echoes a lot of these learnings. Um, you know, we're seeing a consumer's report wanting to let a little less than half of consumers say that their preferred method of giving at register is rounding up. I think that's probably because it's the easiest, right? It's yeah. Quick. It's a yes or no. And um, it's easier to, to for them to engage with. But oddly enough, we're seeing higher conversions um, with actual dollar add-ons, um, whether that's oh. within the experience or after the experience. And so I think, you know, there's a little bit of a say-do divide there of, you know, what they say they want versus what they are doing. But to Alex's point, we always counsel our customers to say, our nonprofit and retail customers to say, match the giving with the price point of the product or service that you have, right? So if you are a high-end luxury boutique clothing retailer, um, you're probably not going to get what you want out of the Roundup because you have less foot traffic, you have higher price points, and you have less frequency of purchases than you would in a supermarket environment where you have lower price points or lower average purchases or cart sizes, more foot traffic, and so on. So I think that's really the driving the point home here of getting more targeted, not in just who you're working with and what causes matter, but also the giving ask. Is that aligned with who you are innately as a product or service? So I think a lot of those same common themes um, are necessary. And we're finding customers like Alex are able to... I mean, you guys are really serving as an expert, Alex, when you go into you know, new retailers or new environments with maybe brands that have never done point of sale fundraising before, kind of to advise them to that point too, of of here's what's really going to work 
Um, and I think that's welcomed. Okay, I like all of these pieces. And Alex, I'm curious, what is something in this vein of like teaching others, what is something that you've learned in the last year that you want to take into next year's campaigns? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I could, I could probably answer so many things here, but I think it's um, one thing I'm seeing and feeling a lot right now is that companies that we're talking to about point of sale or engaging their customers are equally as invested in making sure that we're adding value to their associates. You know, one thing we talk about with Life is Why is that everyone has a why, and this is the unifier of associates and customers throughout a campaign. So yes, our events are important. Yes, our mission is important. But this campaign can be uh, evergreen when it's right for the supporter, and it can really unify the associates and customers. So really seeing that, you know, what we're able to show by way of value to the associates, whether it's well-being resources or learning the life-saving skill of, of hands-only CPR, um, those types of things that we're giving back to the company as a supporter of the Life is Why campaign is really driving a lot of the decisions of our supporters that we're able to not just show up for you know the, the brand equity and to show that we're doing great work for the community, but how can this benefit our associates at a time when you know uh, retention and burnout and mental well-being um, is at an all-time high of interest for you know our executive supporters and and uh, Life is Why campaign companies. And that's one of the pieces that really makes it mutually beneficial, too. Absolutely. It's got to be mutually beneficial. Brittany, how do you recommend companies and causes optimize their fundraising strategy, considering what we talked about a little bit earlier, the economic impacts that we're expecting on the horizon? Yeah, so I, I think some of the best practices remain, you know, and, and I think it, I'm going to state a point of sale fundraising tactics and strategies, since that's kind of the topic here. Yeah. I think, but what we're... What we are seeing with, um, you know, because of the economy and the budget constrictions that a lot of um, brands are facing is is two things are kind of impacting point of sale fundraising coming to market a little less quick uh, that are a little less quickly than maybe we've experienced in the past. Um, and one is the labor shortage, which continues to increase and shift. And so if it is a brick and mortar, um, you know, a retailer or, or, um, or brand, that might be something that maybe you start a program at e-com first to where you don't have to rely, you know, on the, the labor shortage or employees or associates to make the ask, right? Or to communicate the program. And looking at if you're a nonprofit or even a brand, I guess, looking at this as more of the multi-year commitment and starting somewhere, whether it's e-commerce that's a little bit more palatable for associates, or whether it's you know a uh, multi-market instead of a national rollout. Hey, can we pilot you know a couple of programs in a couple of markets that are thriving? Um, I think you know taking those baby steps in time of of recession will really set the stage and enable you guys to us all to create the groundwork that's needed for what we call kind of the rally that's anticipated coming into 2024. And I think the last thing really is um is just, you know, uh, having realistic expectations. You know, being able to look at okay, what are what's the foot traffic? What are the purchasing? Uh, power. How many purchases are coming through this so that nonprofits and retailers can set the expectations appropriately now versus maybe, you know, in a year or two to say, okay, this is, this is where we're going to start and then we'll get there. Um, and so I, I think, 
you know, that's kind of some of the ways that we've seen uh, our customers optimize how to work together now to really set the stage for the future. I love all of these tips and the insights into your campaigns, Alex. And unfortunately, we are at the end of our time. So Alex, where can people learn more about you and your work at the American Heart Association? Yeah, well, our campaign, Life is Why, uh, you can learn more about that at lifeiswhy.org, a uh, landing page of all of our, our supporters. And of course, heart.org is where you can get any resources about our mission and how to work with the Heart Association in a variety of ways. Um, but lifeiswhy.org would be the landing page for our campaign. Wonderful. Brittany, what about you? Yeah, you can always find us at accelerist.com. That's A-C-C-E-L-E-R-I-S-T. You can find our latest report on point of sale fundraising at accelerist.com slash resources. Um, And uh, always on LinkedIn and and conferences around around the country. Absolutely. Well, we include all of that and the charity checkouts report from us at engageforgood.com. Alex, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your insights with our listeners. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Allie. Thanks, Alex. The Engage for Good podcast is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by the David Roy Collective and Rex Banner. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support Engage for Good is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.